It is an absolute privilege to be back in South Africa. And uh, to be honest, I wasn't sure it was ever going to happen again for the last little while, but we took the gap as soon as we could and just to come back to this great, great land. And I really enjoy just being here. You live in a great, great place. And uh, I'm well aware of your problems. Uh, I realize that you guys have been hit here in this region with many, many things. Uh, but I want to say well done to you. Well done that you stayed the course. Can I say this? Well done you braved this evening and came out on Mother's Day, dared to do something like that and join us this evening in this room. And just thank you, Glenridge, for hosting us this evening. What a privilege. And honestly, friends, it's been an absolute delight to be in your great nation. Been here the last couple of weeks. Uh, we kind of hit Durban now, but Cape Town before, Johannesburg before that. Even got a couple of days in the bush. It was awesome. You, you cannot believe how you miss the bush when you don't live in the bush anymore. And I remember the early days, my dad always wanted to take us to the Kruger Park or something. And when we lived here in South Africa, and I was like, uh, not really. Don't really want to go there. And then as soon as we left this country, I couldn't wait to go to the bush. Enjoy what you have while you have it. Let me just say that. And, uh, but this is a great, great country, great place. And uh, I know you've been challenged, but also we have. You know, I've been stuck in America for the last three years, and I love the country I live in, but we've also got challenges in our country. And since I've been here, I'm aware that you guys know a lot about our country, more almost than I know about our country, and the problems, and you love to share them. So thank you for sharing the... Tonight's my chance to tell you your problem, and uh, I'm joking. But it's, it's awesome just to partner together. Thank you for coming from far and wide, and it's not about us, it's about him, and it really is, I think at the end of the day, we come back to that's what really matters, and so well done to you who are serving God faithfully, well done to stay in the course, you know the tragedy in our great nation in America, in this crazy season, 35,000 churches in the United States have shut down through COVID and will never open again. And I don't know what that does to you, but it grieves my heart that churches would shut down and never open. And can I say, without pointing fingers or throwing rocks at leaders, it would seem that the season we've been through and been in has almost forced the church to move from being position-led back to calling-led. Position-led versus calling-led. If you have a position, a job, you kind of go with it, and when trouble comes, you're out the door. But when you understand calling, it's almost like we were forced, is there anything else you can do? Then go do it. If there's nothing else you can do, then you've got to keep on being what God's called you to be. And while it's been a no doubt challenging time, I want to tell you, it's probably the sweetest time for the church to be led and to be a people who understand calling more than ever before. I want to just say there's nothing else we can do but serve the purposes and the plans of God. And so, well done to you who've stayed the course, not to throw rocks at those who haven't, but well done to you. Let me just tell you again, God's never left us through this season. And uh, I realize it's been a different world. And I keep saying, I'm convinced that uh, we've all been in the same storm, but we're all in very different boats. And meaning that while we're facing a global storm that we've walked through, we've all had to make the adjustments in our own boats, our own lives, in our own local churches, our own regions. And, and so well done for making the adjustments. I hope you've done that. And I'm not sure what's next, but this I know. The plans and the purposes of God are prevailing. And uh, I keep saying that this moment that we've been in, in no way, I believe, has stopped the mission that we've been on. Um, 
I want to just say, I don't believe God sent COVID, or I'm not here to talk about the pandemic, but it'd be wrong for me just to move on and pretend nothing happened. This is a once-in-a-lifetime moment that we face globally, and uh, I feel like God's done some radical things in this time and season. Uh, God never stopped what He was doing. I believe God paused perhaps what we, the church, globally were doing. He paused it to remind us again that actually what He is doing, and also to remind us that actually without Him, we cannot do anything. And we know that, we quoted that, but now we've had to be tested on that to come back to what really matters. And, uh, you know, it's like in seasons of crisis and seasons of confrontation, the destiny of the church comes back to the forefront. When we have seasons of convenience and comfort, I do believe we can just keep running with momentum and carrying on and hoping God's part of it and hoping God's in it. But it does seem when crisis and confrontation hits, it's the true destiny of the church comes back to the forefront. And so I do believe we're in for great days, challenging days, but great days. And God's always been with us, I believe, in and through the season. It's amazing. One of the most offensive books in the Bible to me, for me personally, are the four chapters in the book of Jonah. Uh, four chapters that have irritated me through my whole ministry and through my whole life. And I'm just being honest here this evening. And four chapters, but they're radical chapters. And in the beginning, in John, uh, Jonah chapter 1, it says, in, uh, God, uh, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it. And then you know the story that Jonah kind of didn't want to do that. So he decided he was going to go somewhere else. And then he's he spends this season of running away from God and from the call of God. And for a chapter and a half, Jonah's on the run. And it was seen that God's desire and, and issue that he had with Nineveh moved to Jonah. I've got now an issue with Jonah. I need to sort Jonah out. And so a chapter and a half, God's sorting Jonah out. And then again, chapter 3, verse 1 of Jonah, the word of the Lord came a second time. Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it. In other words, the call never changed, the will of God never changed. The only one that had to change in that season was Jonah. I think this crazy season we've been in, God's had to change us as His people to get back to His original intention, to His call, to His desire, to His heart. And we come out of a season like this, God hasn't changed and His will hasn't changed. We've had to adjust. I hope you've done that. I have tried to do that, to adjust according to the purposes and the plans of God. But God's never changed in and through this season. And isn't that good news? Everybody's changed. It's been three years since I've seen a lot of you and we've all changed. You're all looking much prettier and much better. And Stan, you look amazing. No, okay. All right, let's go to the Bible. That's enough of that. Hebrews chapter 12. Please join with me there. Hebrews 12, and uh, Hebrews 12 obviously is a pretty key text. I'm sure many have heard this many times, certainly through the season. But you've got to remember that Hebrews 12 is on the back of Hebrews 11. And Hebrews 11, probably one of the most quoted Bible scriptures all about faith. And we love to talk on faith, and who doesn't, especially in a crazy season. But interesting that those who were in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11 were not commended for what they did. They were commended for their faith. They were in there because of their faith. And faith, I believe, where faith is lacking, fear rises in the absence of faith. 
And there is a fear that has gripped the world. And can I say there's probably a fear that's gripped God's church. And I understand the realities of this crazy season. And, and listen, friends, I'm not here to honor and glorify COVID and pandemic. But I want to say I've lost family members from COVID. I caught COVID. I've had COVID. We've lost people. We've lost team members. It, it's no joke. And so I'm not trying to downplay the reality of it, but I also want to say it seems like the church has been gripped with fear from pandemics, from the shaking, from the thing that's hit, from the loss of life, loss of business, loss of income, loss. And it's like we almost go into survival mode to just make it through. And I understand it, but wherever there is a lack of faith, that's where fear grips people. And faith is not a feeling. Faith is not something we muster up in ourselves. Faith is not something we listen to. Faith is actually a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, so it's on the back of that revelation, the back of this Hebrew text, Hebrews 11, we read these few verses in Hebrews chapter 12. Read with me quickly, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that your heart will not grow weary and lose heart. So the Hebrew writer is telling us that ultimately what we need to do is look back. This cloud of witnesses, and I realize that I'm not a theologian, and maybe some of you in this room are. I don't fully understand this, I don't fully understand what that means. I've got an understanding that I think it might. But what I do want to tell you is that the writer is encouraging us to know that there are those who run their race. There are those who endured. There are those who've run their race. They've taught us and revealed to us that God is reliable. That we can trust God even through all the persecution, suffering, that God is reliable. And can I say, they've also received their reward. They finished what God intended for them to do. And I love that because this cloud of witnesses, some versions say, who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness. Eugene Peterson's version actually says, all these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better get on with it. God is reliable. People have run their race. And people gone before us have received their reward. In sense, we can get through what God's called us to. We can walk through seasons no matter what comes our way. I hope that excites you. Can I just say, let the word be your counselor, not the world. Stop going to social media to be discipled. Stop listening to the stuff on the internet and being discipled by that stuff and come back to the Word of God and know that God is faithful. God is watching over His Word. We've got to come back to His Word, His way. The second thing we see is not only are we to look up, 
or look back, we're to look in. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Throw it off. Don't hold on to it. Don't carry it as you persevere in the things God has for you. Throw it off. Some versions say, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Throw it off, friends. Take it off. Look in. Deal with your stuff. Stop looking around and who cares what. It's our business to deal with our stuff. And God's got us there to sort it out. Keep on sorting it out as we keep running. Then I love this. The writer's saying, then look forward. Look forward. I love this because there's this race that we're to run with perseverance, but this race marked out for us. I am a huge believer that there is a great inheritance together. But I also want to tell you that we all need everyone to run their own race. And I don't believe my race is the same as your race, and I don't believe your race is the same as my race. And we're too busy taking each other's lanes and getting in the way of each other because we focus on each other's race, not our own. I don't know. I'm convinced that God's got a race for me to run and a race for you to run. And we need each other, but stay in your lane. Stay in my lane. Let's stay in our lane. Stop crossing lanes and getting in the way. Look forward this race that's been marked out for us in and through a crazy season like COVID. And, and honestly, I don't know what's next, but keep on running the race God's called you. It's been marked out. Stay the course. Run your race. If others fall out, fall down, help them up. But don't get stuck in their lane. Stay in your lane. And then we have this great picture, look up, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Plainly put, friends, we are to use Jesus as the focal point while we run the race we've been given by God. Looking unto Jesus as, as the object of our faith, as the author of our, our faith, as the pioneer of our faith as the finisher of our faith, as the goal of our faith. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. See, I love this text because of the command in the phrase, let us, that speaks of united action. Fixing our eyes on Jesus speaks of a definite action. And, and, and on Jesus speaks of a single aim. Aim for Jesus, friends. Now, this is not new to any of us, but this is the thing that will hold us regardless of what comes next. It's the thing that has held us to where we are today. Not in survival, but living the dream God's called us in and through seasons we go through. Let's read on. In verse 14, I just want to jump ahead to get to what I came to say this evening. Warning against refusing God is the heading, and it's on the back of this. Verse 14 of uh, uh, what am I? Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights. To the, of the eldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. He could bring no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, to gloom, 
to storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it is begged that no further word be spoken to them. Because they could not bear what was commanded. If an animal, even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church, the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of the, right, to the, spirits of the righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turned away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The word once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that, what, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. I have tried my best through this crazy season to try and understand what's really going on. And I'm certainly not a prophet, and I'm sure some of you have a different perspective. But I, I think there, are, there have been three major things happening through this season. The first thing we see is that God is shaking. And there is more shaking to come. And we just read everything that can be will, and will be, everything that can be will be shaken. And I, I love to talk about the shaking, but I hate the shaking. I love to hear about the shaking. I love to respond. And, and so we should come with reverence and awe because our God is a consuming fire and we should be thankful. But I don't like the shaking. But we need shaking, my dear friends, because shaking reveals what we are anchored to. And we don't know what really we're anchored to till the shaking happens. And so I've hated the season, but I've loved the season because I'm so grateful to God. He's so merciful to me and to you that this side of eternity, He will shake things to reveal to us what we link to, what we've given our lives to, what we've given everything to, and this side of eternity, we can adjust it and fix it rather than that side of eternity when we get to heaven and we will get there simply based on what Jesus has done. But the rewards might not be what we thought because we've given our lives to something and we've hoped that God's in it. God in the days for the church who do their thing and ask God to bless it. It's an amazing text in the book of Joshua when Joshua is about to take the most fortified city in Joshua chapter 5 and 
and he's out there, and I think he's trying to find out how we're going to go about taking Jericho, and you think your city's fortified. They were really fortified. There was no way in and no way out. And so Joshua was out there having a moment, praying, and like, how are we going to do this? And, and he sees a man standing there with a sword. And so he goes up to this man. He doesn't recognize him. So he, I mean, it's a good question to ask. Are, are, you, are you with us? Or are you with the enemy? Whose side are you on? And the response is this, neither. I mean, sound like a politician right there. But it was not a politician. It was Jesus himself, the Lord of the army, the captain of the host of the army of God. And he said, neither. In other words, he's saying, I'm not on your side and I'm not on their side. I'm not here to take sides. I'm here to take over. This is my battle. Whose side are you on? And somehow we got this thing is that we're doing our thing and we know God's on our side. No, no. Are you on His side? That's what matters here. Are we doing what He's called us to do? And shaking does reveal what He's doing and we need to get on board with that rather than do our thing and Lord, please be in it with because we hope one day we're going to see you in it. Friends, those days are over. Shaking comes to reveal what we're anchored to and what God's doing and that which will come down must come down and the pain of it, but it's good for us and God is so good to us that He'll allow shaking and He will shake it up to reveal what really is kingdom and what really is not. God is good to us, friends. One Sunday in 1916, G. Campbell Morgan stood in the pulpit of Westminster Chapel in London to deliver his sermon. World War I had been raging for two years, killing and maiming countless soldiers and shattering the prosperity of Europe and America. Death and suffering were everywhere. And Morgan preached a sermon entitled, Things Shaken, Things Not Shaken, from Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 27, he said, if we have learnt nothing else, surely we have seen our smug self-confidence rocked to the core by the hand of God. He closed his sermon that war-ravaged Sunday with these words, for every shaking of the earth, the man of God, the man of faith, thanks God. Only the things which are not vital can be shaken, and only the transient can be destroyed. The real things of life abide, faith, love, and hope. Through the shaking, these are manifested. Or as Haggai said, by the shaking comes the desire of the nations, which is Jesus Christ himself. This is what he said in his closing statement. May he direct our hearts into that patient waiting for him that is born out of a sense that his shaking of all things is of God and that only that which can be shaken can be destroyed. That's a good perspective. To thank God for the shaking because only that which stands is God and his kingdom. And so I believe shaking brings things down. And I've probably highlighted that most. And I remember through this crazy season, I, I was listening to the media, I was listening to the church, I was global, but I couldn't travel, which is very difficult for me. I've been home for three years, locked up in America, as you can tell, and it's nice to be out. I love my country, but it's nice to be out of America. Social media and Zooming and the whole world. I mean, listen, we did our best. 
But I was asking God, what's going on here? And I'm blaming the media and I'm blaming our government and I'm blaming COVID and I'm blaming, and the Lord reminded me, and I'm here too doing some shaking. Don't look to everyone else. Look to what I'm doing. And God, and I was like, okay, you shake, but you shake to bring things down. But God reminded me, I don't just break, shake to bring things down. I shake to bring, break things open. Are you listening, church? Because God, we cannot be nostalgic for an era that no longer exists. 2019 is gone. And we're not waiting it out to get back to there. There's a new place, a new season, new time. God's doing things now for the future, not just into the future. And we've got to get better. Ignorance is not bliss when it comes to the kingdom of God. We've got to know what God's doing. And I believe the shaking breaks things down, but the shaking breaks things up. And some of the stuff we've trusted and cried out to for God to do in the past has done through the shaking. But some of us haven't understood that. Or we're not looking for the doors He's now open. We're trying to look for the doors He closed and are trying to go back to what was. And, and there's a great text in the book of Revelation that speaks about God being the great door opener. And I love that. That God opens doors that no man can shut. Don't you love that? You, no one can shut the doors God opens. And we cheer that and we love that. But in that same verse, it says that God will close doors that no man can open. And I haven't heard a lot of people preach about the great door closer called God. We blame the devil for the doors that close. When God closes doors in order for us to see the new doors. Then we've got to shift mindsets in the season with the shake and say, what new doors have opened through this crazy season? Rather than let's pray and fast to kick down the doors that God says, if I've closed them, I'm not going to open them again. Shaking breaks down. Shaking breaks up. Shaking is what God wants to do to break in. To his church. Can I say to you this evening, God wants his church back. He wants to position his presence back in his church. We can't have it on us, on our walls and, and our, and our, and our uh, websites that we are a people of his presence. We've got to reveal God is a God who's with us. God designed his church to be with his people. And he wants his church back. And I began to preach and look at what, what does a church look like that is built to attract God, not just people? May I be bold enough to say it probably looks very different to the global church today. Because we do what we can to attract people at the expense of actually having the right heart to attract God Himself. Can you imagine a church that truly carries the presence of God? It will be drawing people and people will stay when the shaking happens. But when the atmospheres are developed by the church to get people to come, they're not going to stay when the shaking comes because they're linked to an atmosphere. They're not linked to God himself. Philip Yancey says that a society that denies the supernatural always ends up uh, 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 elevating the natural above supernatural status. When you and I deny the supernatural, we begin to elevate the natural above supernatural status. And can, can I, without throwing rocks, just point fingers and just say, how many people are falling in this season? Because we've elevated gifts, people, men, women, books, podcasts, and ministries above the supernatural. Why? Because we deny the supernatural. 
What would a church in this region look like if it was built to attract God, not just man? 1 Samuel 16, God looks at the outward, a man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. We need churches, people who are serious about the manifested presence of God. People talk about the omnipresence of God, and we're all happy with that. It means God's everywhere, so I'm cool with that. I, I can't run away from him because he's everywhere. We, we, we're happy with that because, to be honest, we don't have to do anything with that. But the Bible also says God is omnipresent, but he's also manifested presence is with us. In other words, not God is everywhere. God is here. What do you do with God being here? And he wants to reveal he's here. More and more, he wants his church back. He shakes to break in. What will you do with God who wants to break in to his church, to his people? That's shaking. You know, I, 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 again, I don't want to be negative, but it seems that much of the church today is dominated more by the spirit of this age than it is by the spirit of Christ. We're in a battle fighting each other with the spirit of this age, thinking we're doing it in the name of Jesus. We're not. We need the presence of God. We need the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ to take his church and to get us alight again, alive again, to walk out the plans and the purposes of God, regardless of what the world's doing. Are you with me, friends? He shakes to break out. He shakes to break through. I believe there's been breakthrough through the season if we would just look around and see what God has done. Not wait it out to get through. What's God doing now? And so there's this shaking, and that's kind of hectic enough. But at the same time, I think secondly, at the same time of God shaking, and I, I want to just say man is sinning like never before. And, and no, no, people are sinning. We love to blame man. I'm going to say all of us. Women too, right? And if you read the book of Genesis, women had a role to play in sin, just so you know. People are sinning. People have always sinned. I know the book of Genesis. I know what happened. I know the fall of man. I get all that. There's always been sin when man messed it up. But can I say, it's almost like lawlessness is everywhere right now. And it almost seems like no one cares. The sin of people is being exposed in the church, out of the church, in our governments, in every media. It's just like sin is everywhere and no one cares. So while we've got God shaking, we've got people sinning like never before. And if you just read the Bible in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it talks about godlessness in the last days. And people will be lovers of themselves and lovers of all this stuff and treacherous and inhumane and not loving people. And I mean, friends, you read that and that's something of what we're seeing today. And it's getting worse. And I'm not being negative, but know this. And you know what Peter writes in uh, Timothy, uh, Paul says to Timothy, avoid such people. The response is get out of it and don't get mixed in it. God is shaking. People are sinning. Third thing happening is the devil is raging. The devil is raging. Now I'm not here to glorify the devil, but I want to tell you he's not a mouse with a megaphone. Bible actually says in 1 Peter chapter 5 that it says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now listen, you guys get lions. Okay, I talk to Americans, they don't get lions. I was in the bush a two, two, few days ago for a couple of days. And guess what? 
we wait. I told the guy, I need to see a lion. You've got to. I don't care what we see. Lions first. Take me to a lion. I love lions. My favorite king of the jungle. I'm sorry, I'm still. And so we found eventually a lion. And let me tell you, two lions. And they were just talking to each other. At night. We recorded it. Let me tell you, it's no mouse with a megaphone. It is intimidating. I was, let's just go, ooh. I'm sorry if I freak you out, but I'm, just, I'm trying to tell you that there's something we're missing with this enemy of ours. He is intimidating, devouring, and looking, and he's roaring. And here's what I want to suggest, is we've got to understand he's going against, he's raging, and he's using us to rage against each other. And we kind of feel we're doing this for the Lord by posting stuff. And we're doing this cause thing and we're talking against this person and we divide it at every level. And the devil is desiring to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. And as we had a moment to unite, we were divided because we got on causes and we went after each other. And, and I want to just tell you, he desires to destroy us and he's looking to use anyone, including you, to destroy us. He'll use anyone. I'm not, I know that sounds harsh, but we've got to see this because we've played right into the hands of the devil by arm wrestling one another on public social media, taking each other out for the sake of the kingdom. I'm just saying, let's stop playing the devil's game. We need each other. You know, we have a common enemy in this kingdom, and it's not each other. We have one enemy, and it's not even our government or the people around us or the world. It's actually principalities and rules and powers and authorities. Ephesians chapter 6. Friends, it's almost like we forgot. We think we have flesh and blood enemies. We don't. They're principalities and powers. But we're taking, we're taking the battle to people and we're wondering why people are getting taken out. Are you with me? Are you okay? Man, I tell you what. The devil got this thing right. It was like COVID and this, it, it got us to be isolated. And we came out of it and then divided. Brilliant plan. And we played into it. And I'm not here to, I'm here to say we've got to read the moment. Say so stop taking each other out. You know, social media, I keep saying this and I know it offends people, but social media might not have enabled the lame to walk, but it has definitely enabled the dumb to speak. It has. And unfortunately, we are those dumb people fighting each other. And I'm asking you, please, for the sake of our future, please get off that stuff. Stop fighting each other. The devil's raging. God is shaking. And man is lawless. People are lawless. That's the season we find ourselves in. The good news is we need to know what to contend for rather than contend for the wrong thing. There are mountains and, and hills we to die on, but they should not be the mountains and hills that we're dying on for. We've got to come back to the things that really matter. Is that all right? So can I just give us a few things I believe we should be contending for? These are hills we should die on. They matter to God. They matter to us. First one in this season that we need to contend for in and through this season is number one, obviously, our revelation of Jesus. Oh, we know this. I know we know this. But we've got to keep contending for this. See, I'm convinced of this, that a correct view of Jesus gives us a correct view of everything else. 
our Christology determines our missiology. And our missiology determines our ecclesiology. And our ecclesiology determines our eschatology. And for those of you from the bluff, let me explain that to you. Sorry, I'm just joking. I'm just joking, bro. Hey, we buddies, right? Well, come in. Anyway. No, sorry, that was a bad joke. Hey, we buddies, right? But for the rest of the people, I know you get it, so I'll explain to you. Basically what that, <laughs> okay. hey listen, don't fight the wrong battles, please. We're not going to die in this one. But here, here's the deal. Here, here's the thing. Basically what I'm saying is this. Our revelation of Jesus determines our mission here on earth. And our mission determines the church. And the church plays a major role in end times. Now, some of us have come alive in this season through the craziness, and now we, the end time people in this room, are all excited because pandemics and vaccine passports and whatever else and masks and the, the next mark of the beast, here it is. And, and I wanted to say, don't get involved in that stuff, but your revelation of Jesus will give you a war, an incorrect view of Jesus, will give you an incorrect view of end times. And that's why we've got to contend for this revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why it's not an optional extra that we tag Jesus on or add Jesus on. We've got to fight. We've got to contend for our own revelation of who Jesus is, friends. And it's not a one-off thing. It's an ongoing revelation that we've got to contend for. COVID-19 has exposed, I believe, the foundation of the church globally. And many churches have been built on great giftings or great people or great personalities, but not on the foundation that lasts, being Jesus Christ. And so the exposing we've seen is that things have fallen and been shaken because we've had the wrong foundation. And I'm trusting coming out of this crazy season, we the church have reconnected with our bridegroom king. And we will do more for him out of love than we will out of duty and religion. And there are many people in our nation, in this nation, that have tried church, but they've never tried Jesus because they couldn't find Jesus in His church because of the misrepresentation of who Jesus is. And so again, our challenge this evening is get your revelation of Christ, fight for your revelation of Jesus, contend for the revelation of Jesus. It's an amazing text, and we as a team have been going on 40-something years now, and, 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 and I'm, I mean, people say to me, Tyrone, I, I get the Jesus stuff, what else? And I get what they're saying because I've got some what else's too. But then I read scripture that teaches and, and warns and, and reveals that we need to be aware of things. There's a church called the Ephesus Church that Paul, the apostle planted, who was a man obsessed with Jesus Christ. In actual fact, the, word, the name of the Lord in that city was held in high honor because Paul was so obsessed with Jesus. He preached Christ. He laid the foundation of Christ and so on. But 30, 40 at most, 50 years later, Jesus himself in the book of Revelation addresses that very church. You know what he says to them? You've done this well. You've done this well. You've done this well. You've done great things. However, I have this against you. You forgot about me. You were so busy doing the work of the Lord, you forgot about the Lord of the work. If it can happen to them, it can happen to us. And it, 
The devil's desire is for that to happen because without Christ, without the revelation, without Him having first place in everything, we have no significance, no value. And to be honest, we've got nothing really to live for. So I'm challenging, please. We've got to contend. I've studied some of church history and it's an interesting thing when you look at the founding generations of those who've done some great things for the king. They responded out of revelation to Jesus and they went and did what he called them to. And they were radical and they pioneered. But it seems that the next generation ended up having a relationship and knowing the founding generation, but they didn't know the Jesus of the founding generation, meaning they lost their way. I'm saying to us, please, my dear friends, we need to contend for our revelation of Jesus day in and day out because He is the one that gives life. He is the reason. Without Him, we have nothing. And what we are part of has no sustainability, no impact, no going forward if it's not centered around the one and only Jesus Christ. So the main thing is not to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main one the main thing. And that's Jesus having first place in everything. Secondly, we need to contend for our responsibility, our mission. Our mission. You know, the church is not a waiting room for heaven. Bored soldiers are dangerous. They end up fighting each other. We were made for mission. You cannot read scripture without seeing we were made for mission. And it seems that when the church stops focusing and contending for mission, we end up taking each other out. You know, Jesus was questioned in the book of Acts by his disciples. And they said this, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What they were doing, and we do it even in this country, not just America. I've been here two and a half weeks and I've seen it here. We do the same. We, 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 we mix politics, nationalism, culture, religion. We put it all together and, we, and it's a dangerous thing because generally politics usually wins everything. And Jesus, when they were asking him about Israel, he said, it's not for you to know times and dates that my father has set by his own authority. In other words, that's none of your business. Nanya. It seems that many of us are involved in nanya. Arm wrestling, times and vaccines and passports. No, no. Don't get caught up in that stuff, he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, focus on mission. In Matthew 24, the best teaching on end times was Jesus himself. And in Matthew 24, Jesus said, these things will begin to happen, and so rumors against, you know, he begins to talk about signs. These are signs that are the beginning. They're not the end, but signs are the beginning of the end. Wars and nation against nation, all this stuff. But then he says this in verse 14 of Matthew 24. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, I, I don't understand all these things, but this I know. Jesus said, it's not going to be the Antichrist. It's not going to be the mark of the beast. It's not going to be your vaccine or your passport or your vaccine passport or the next thing they force us. And I'm not fighting you. I understand what we're saying. But we're fighting stuff that's not as relevant as what he says is. He said, and this gospel needs to be taken to all nations. 
Now, we have a heart for the city. I mean, you're here because this is a city celebration. I don't know anyone who doesn't have a heart for their city and to reach those lost people. Jesus came to seek and to save them, but he also came to reach the unreached. There's a difference between lost and unreached. Lost are those who've rejected the gospel, and Jesus wants them to be found. I get that. But there are people who've never had the privilege of hearing what we hear about every single day. And it's not to make us feel bad. That's what he says to focus on. Do you know, I heard some statistics that are troubling. They say that in the Western countries and Western cities that every 24 hours, anybody would have the opportunity to hear the gospel. But in unreached regions, every 30-something years, someone might have an opportunity to hear the gospel. That's not to make us feel bad. That's to remind us we've got to contend for our mission, our responsibility of why we've been put on this planet. And through all these crazy seasons of lockdown and lockup and lockdown and shutdown and whatever comes next, the first thing that goes every time when we begin to please people and get people back out of their houses and dare come back to church and whatever, and we've got online and offline, and, and I get it. But the first thing that goes when we please people is the mission. We put it aside. People have been offended that I dared come to this country and talk about mission when we've gone through such trouble. I said, well, I'm just reading the Bible. I did not write it. We've got some understanding that we've got to please people to get them back off the couch to the church. And when they're in the church, we get them fired up and one day we can get them back to mission. You'll never get back to missions. Always goes to get them off the couch, get them back on mission. Then they will come back to the church. Okay, we've got to contend. This is a hill to die on. The mission Jesus put us on this planet, it's the uttermost parts of the earth and also our cities. We've got to contend for that truth, that cause. It's from God. Next point, quickly contend. Quickly, I'm going to be quick. Contend for our relationships. Unity. Amazing how often we talk about unity. Why? Because unity is essential. You can't read the Bible without seeing the essential need for his gut people to be unified. I mean, actual fact, Psalm 133, very quoted scripture. How good and pleasant is it when brothers live together in unity? Not have a moment of unity, live together in unity. It is like precious oil, anointing. I've, I've heard so many people tell me we need the anointing and more anointing. It's like precious oil. Anointing comes to people who are united. Poured on the head, speaking of authority. We want to walk in more authority. We need to unite around what God's doing. Unite. Running down on the beard of, it speaks of maturity. Running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, unshakable. For there the Lord bestows, commands his blessing, his favor, his protection. Even life forevermore. I want all that stuff promised to us. But it comes to a people who are you united. And it would seem there's division that is taken, that has been brought into God's people's house. And I want to ask you under God, let's contend for unity. Let's contend for unity. Keep short accounts. Believe the best for each other. Come on, man. We, we're in this together. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no division, no division among you, 
and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. We've coined this thing, we agree to disagree. And that's brilliant because that means we don't have to agree on anything. But I want to tell you, we need to agree on many things. I just don't see it your way. It doesn't matter. We've got to agree. We've got to contend. There's no division for the blessing. And we've got to fight for that, guys, for generations to come behind us. And it's not that we're all just equal. It's, it's being real, but it's working it out, not just putting it aside and say, who cares? We've got to contend for unity. God wants His church to be unified, to display to a world that is divided what it means to be a true unified people around purpose and around Jesus. We've got to contend for it because we'll lose it that quick. Number four, we need to contend for our reach or our range, diversity. As much as we need unity, we need diversity. And I'm not talking about cultural diversity. I'm talking about God's recognition that people are different and He made us different. And we've got to celebrate God putting us together with different people. Churches should reflect the diversity of the kingdom, diversity of God. It's God's way. As much as we need unity, we need diversity. Not because our culture says we must, because God has made us differently. We've got to celebrate our diversity. Our, our, can I say we've got to hold tightly to our calling, but we've got to hold loosely to our expression. There's not a way, there's many ways. There's one way to cry heaven, I understand. Jesus is the only way. But there's many different expressions that are Okay, God's good with that. We don't, there's not one way of being the church, doing the church, doing stuff. God's given us freedom to express. And I look around and look at the diversity just in this room. And there's different leaders, different churches. And we want to tell you, we celebrate you being true to who you are. You don't have to be like us to fit in or be unified. And so while we are going to contend for unity, we must contend for diversity, for range, for reach. You have a weak people, a weak church. Everyone's the same as us. God didn't make anyone the same. And we've got to make room for everyone. It's important to God. Isaiah 41, verse 19 and 20, it says, I'll put in the desert the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, the olive. I'll set in junipers in the waste and the fern, the cypress together. In other words, I'm going to take trees, shrubs, and bushes that don't belong together and don't belong in the desert. But I'm going to put them together in the desert. They don't naturally belong. But I want people to know that I've done this. It's for the display of the Lord's splendor. Let's not tolerate each other. Let's celebrate what God's doing with all people. God will bless that people as we go forward. Generations, cultures, personalities. I mean, we've got some interesting people in this room. We've got the Sanhedrin over there, and we've got the other there, there, and I'm just joking, but... But God put us together. We need to celebrate it, man. Not trying to be, I hope you see that it's God's way. Personalities, married and single. We need to minister to single people, church. Not just married. There's people who are married, but there's a lot of single people. And it's like until you're married, we can't really help you. No, no, we help all people. We've got to make room and celebrate all sorts. Number five, we need to continue for our reputation. And what I mean by that is each other. It's wonderful to have a calling together. It's a wonderful mission, me and Jesus and us and Jesus. But we need to contend for each other. There are too many falling out of the race. And I know we've got to run our own race. I said that. But we also got to look out for each other. It's God's way. We diligently look out for each other. Guys, we are co-laborers, not co-workers. Meaning we work together. There's shared vision and shared mission. 
1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Philippians 2, 1-7, verse 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he has promised is faithful. And let us, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Hebrews 3, 13, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We need to look out for each other. We need to contend for one another. As much as you contend for your own life and for your own family and your own church, I want to tell you there's a godly responsibility to contend for each other. Let's begin to look out for each other again because God's put us together to look out for one another. It's biblical. It's right. It might bore some of you tonight, but we need this. Otherwise, more and more are going to fall out of this race. And one loss is enough. It's bad enough. And we don't want to see any more people falling out of the race. Look out for each other. And lastly, I believe we need to contend for our reward, our shared future. Now I look around and I want to say there's a great future for all of us. But I've also realized, God challenged me, it's not enough to go after your future. I've given you a shared future. Are you there? Which means your breakthrough is my breakthrough. Your pain is my pain. It's awesome to run my own race and have my own future. But God put us together and the reward is a shared future. And friends, we've got to contend. Think beyond these moments. Think beyond COVID. Think beyond the season. Think beyond the next season. Think about generations. You see, we who are prophetic, we think in weeks, months, and at best, years. But God is a God of generations. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is a generational God. And we've got to get better at thinking about generations to come. And the stuff we give ourselves to and what we emphasize today has ramifications for our shared future of children who've yet to be born if Jesus doesn't come back. And that gives me such encouragement, but also challenges me to stay the course, to contend for what matters, to keep on being and doing what God's called us to. So generations beyond us will walk in the blessing, and they will continue to walk in what God has for them. I'm standing here tonight because of those who've gone before and paid a price and stuck to their race and continued through all seasons. And I trust that after tonight, we will keep on looking to those to come. We've got the shared reward, shared inheritance. We are stronger together. That's become a cliche, but biblically, we are stronger together. Nations and generations. And that's what God has for us. <laughs> All right, there's generations calling. Let's go. You know, yeah, they're learning to count. Is that what's happening? All right, so let me land with this. So much of today's lack 
is a result of an unfocused yesterday. Complete obedience, not obedience, complete obedience establishes a generational echo. Complete obedience. Completed obedience. Not I obey some, I obey all. Complete the task. Keep on walking in what God has because there's a generational echo to the things we finish doing and completing in our task. We have to complete what God's given us to do. Legacy, I believe, is the outcome of a focused investment. And I'm still a young man. I'm only 50, so I'm very young. Amen. But let me tell you this. The older you get, the more you begin to think about legacy. I never thought about legacy. Who cares? What are you going to be remembered for? And then suddenly you're getting older and you think, gee, I, I want to know what I want to... What I've realized is that legacy has to do with past. Destiny has to do with future. And if you want to have a genuine legacy when you're no longer here, you're going to have to open your hand and release the next generation to run with destiny. You will not have a legacy if you don't empower the next generation with destiny. And we need to contend for more and more destiny so we can have genuine legacy that outlives us when we've gone to be with the Father. Can we close our eyes, please? Well done to you who stayed the course, who's running the race, staying in your lane, keeping your eyes on Jesus. But please, my dear friends, can we do our best in God to contend for what really matters, causes that truly count, I say for the first 40 years of our lives, we're all about success. And then we hit this thing called midlife crisis. And then we begin to think about the significance of life. Well, why wait 40 years of wasted life to look at what really is significant? Let's contend for the causes that count. And let's not get drawn into the battles that God's not in. And let's contend for what God's called us to. So, Father, I want to just thank you for these amazing men and women in this room, girls and boys. Many here who carry a legacy, many here paved the way, but are still running their race. I ask this evening, Lord, that as we work through this season, we don't long for the next, we be faithful in this season. We don't want you to take us out of this. We want to be faithful in this. Because there are doors that are open. There are opportunities that are waiting. You've never left us. You've just brought us back to the things that really matter. I pray for this region. There's such a commanded blessing from God in this region. But it's going to be a people who can contend for the things that really matter. God's not backing us with our plans. If we've learned anything in this season, God's not committed to our dream. He's committed to his purposes. Many of the man, plans of a man's heart, but it's the purposes of God that prevail. We want to walk in the purposes of God. Lord, would you bring us back to your purpose? Not asking you to be on our side. We want to be on your side. 
We're not asking you to back us. We want to be with you, knowing we're doing what you've called us to. So I, I pray, Lord, for an outpouring, a, a fresh outpouring. For a season that the church will take ground, not hold ground, but take ground. Taking ground in this season, not waiting it out, taking ground. For doors that we're wide open, may you give us the capacity and the faith to walk through. Eyes to see, ears to hear. And the people who will respond and keep saying yes to the King. We thank you for our history. We are grateful for it. We're so excited that in these days you've commanded us to walk in your ways, walk in your plan. So I pray a fresh release tonight in this room. Over this city, over this region, it's been shaken. We know that you do shake, but you don't shake to bring down. You shake to break open. Break things open in this great city, through this city, I pray. Let this be glory days for KZN from KZN. Let the church arise. Let us, your church, arise. Let the name of Jesus be held in high honor in this nation. And men and women have fresh courage tonight to keep running with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in us, with us, and through us. We say to you, be all the glory. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen. 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 Thank you.